Single Simulcast is about a lot of things. This podcast may make you laugh, cry, or pound your fists into your desk. If you hear something you like or something you don't, leave a voicemail at 916-572-9016 or email us at singlesimulcast at gmail.com. One. Single. Simulcast. There we go. Single Simulcast, episode 319. Shantae's here. I'm here. I'm Rashani. And we are uh, more than and more than fortunate to be joined uh, by one of the illustrious hosts of the Militantly Mixed podcast, uh, Miss Charmaine. Uh, go ahead and tell them something about yourself. Tell them something about your shows. The floor is yours. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, well, I do. I do a couple of shows. I have uh, Militantly Mixed, which is my own personal baby, I guess, and it it, it stems from me being mixed race, um, black, Japanese, and up until recently thought black, Japanese, Irish, English, German, black, Seminole, Native American, Spanish, and Creole. But through recent DNA tests, discovered. Not some of those things, um, <laughs> but I am still at least black Japanese and, and uh, Caucasian British. We've got some Irish and Scandinavian and some other things in there. And uh, we trace back our ancestry to three different tribes in Gabon. And so we're, um, so for me, my, my mixed race identity has always been something that I talk about on a regular basis. It's constantly a part of my life because I grew up mostly in black uh, environments, family, culture, things like that, but present sort of ambiguously Asian or Latinx looking. Um, I developed a bit of a militant attitude about <laughs> about um, blackness and uh, and about uh, racial issues, social injustice, things like that. And so I've been wanting to do something related to mixed raceness for a long time. And I partnered up with a friend of mine from high school. And uh, we were going to do a podcast together, but it didn't quite work out. And so it, it sort of dropped. And then I decided after a couple of years to finally do Militantly Mix. And, and basically, it's just talking about mixed race identity from the mixed race perspective and trying to push representation for mixed race people and and basically have a seat at the table for racial issues as they kind of pertain to mixed race people because we're, we're here and we're a part of it but we're sort of a diluted part of every race that we're mixed with and um don't always feel like we have a voice so that's sort of the reason behind militantly mixed and uh and then we we have an offshoot show uh called militantly mixed the black af edition which is basically just um myself and my podcast partner uh blurred vision we just talk about being mixed black and sometimes we talk about politics and sometimes we talk about food and sometimes we talk about um, a bunch of things. But it always comes from the perspective of being sort of mixed black and and our different experiences as what, you know, what part of blackness we are allowed to participate in based off of the way we present. So that's my shows. <laughs> <laughs> so um, as a. Uh, biracial or or mixed uh, woman uh, in America. What did you find was the hardest part of uh, growing up mixed as you're in your childhood, and does it reflect what you find to be difficult as an adult? 
Oh, that's a good question. Um, as a child, because my entire family was mixed, both of my parents are biracial. My my dad was black and Caucasian British. My mom is Japanese and what we thought was German Irish. Um, and and so you know we I had a I had all my cousins and aunts and uncles. Everybody was a different color. So and we lived together on and off. We we kind of communally lived in different, you know, aunts and uncles and things like that here and there. So I never knew we were weird until we ended up going, you know, until we got into school. And then you would see people's parents coming to pick up their kids and they look just like their parents. And again, it still didn't mean that much to me uh, at first. I just kind of thought, honestly, this is what I thought about race when I was little. I thought that tigers are orange and lions are tan, and they're both cats. They're the same thing. Um, and I thought that about my family. My dad is brown. My mom is kind of yellowy white. We're the same thing. It's fine. And it wasn't until third grade when um, we had a school project. And this is when I lived in Sacramento. I went to Spinelli Elementary. Yay! And we- <laughs> Go Tigers! Um- <laughs> Uh, we had uh, we had a, a school experiment in the third grade where we were supposed to bring uh, pictures of our family and then draw them, try to try to draw them. So I I had one picture of my dad at, at the time that I brought in this little like heart shaped picture frame, and the the girl that was my little best friend at the time, whose name entirely escapes me, but she was a little white girl. Uh, so we're just gonna go call her Becky. Uh, she looks over at my picture and says. Why is your dad poop colored? Boo! Fuck Spinelli! Yeah. Fucking right. <laughs> so, so I didn't take that. Wasn't the part that really hit me at first. It was really just like, um, no, he's oh, he's brown, yeah, but like, I don't know what colors your dad. You know, I just kind of thought dads were brown and moms were yellow white. I don't know because um, that was what was reflected in my family. You know, all of my brown uncles who were straight had white or latinx or asian wives and girlfriends so they all looked all of my family looked the same uh and she she said that you know both of her parents are white and things like that and she she just kept thinking it was weird and i disregarded i move on with my life and the next day uh she tells me she's not allowed to hang out with me anymore boo fuck citrusites mm. fuck <laughs> So, uh, so I, I don't understand this. And she explains that the reason why she can't hang out with me anymore is because my father was a nigger. <gasps> Mind you, we are third grade and neither one of us know what this word is. Neither one of us had probably heard this word before this day. And, um, and so I'm like, all right, I guess, whatever. Bye, Becky. And I go home and I ask my mom, um, what is this? Like, Becky can't hang out with me anymore because dad's a nigger. What does that mean? And my mom is this tiny, five foot, half an inch, half Japanese, half white woman who she she adopted ghetto blackness from an early age. And so she kind of talks with that accent, even though she didn't grow up in it or whatever. Um, and, uh, and she was ready to fight and she's ready to get crazy. So she comes to the school the next day ready to fight the parents. <laughs> and, um, 
I don't remember how that part played out, but my mom had in many occasions had been either threatened a parent that said something stupid or ignorant to me or um, even to even a principal of mine at some point who happened to be her sixth grade teacher when she was young. So they had a history and she basically this was the awakening of what it meant to be mixed race at this moment. She explained to me that not everybody has parents that are different colors and that there are some people hate people just for being brown or just for being yellow or just for being white and that and then she explained also that 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 was like something that was the case with my white grandfather too her her father um he had his japanese wife my grandmother but at the same time he had a german wife who lived in north highlands across uh watt avenue and we didn't know that she he had simultaneous families and he seemed to kind of even though he was legally married to my grandmother he was in all intents purposes, married to this German woman and had a full family and things like that. And when it all came out, he left and went to them and, and we were just the, you know, the other ones, the, the yellow ones or whatever. And so this opens up me to understanding that, oh, we are different from a lot of the people we hang out with. Uh, but we were near that base, McClellan. And so there was a lot of mixed race and interracial families. And again, it really wasn't, it really didn't sink in big that this was an unusual thing um, but it started to bother me from that point on and w- by the time I was in fifth grade so this happens in third grade by the time I'm in fifth grade I'm very aware of my my otherness um, because of where we were living it seemed that all the people of color that I knew were starting to to move away because they were getting stationed somewhere or else or whatever I still had my core group of folks but um, things felt different and then we moved to Long Beach and that's when I that's when I become black, basically. That's when I start to understand that I'm part black and this is what blackness means and how different black people treated me as uh, just a member of the family right away in a way that the white people didn't, including Becky, who decides she can't even hang out with me anymore because my dad's brown. Um, so I become very aware of it in like fifth and sixth grade and and I know my difference and my otherness. Um And by high school, I was basically, you know, I had posters of Angela Davis on my wall and I was sad I wasn't darker because I sometimes I would speak about uh, racial intelligence or or social justice issues because this is like 1990s, early 1990s, late uh, 1980s in Los Angeles area. And um, and I'm not brown enough to talk about some of these things. So I had a lot of identity stuff that had to do with like why if I feel black why do I not present black and why do people not see me as black and and that's kind of what starts this militancy in in my mind like I want to fight for social justice for my people and I want to be seen as one of my people and the only time I'm seen as one of my people is when I'm around them and when I'm not really talking very militantly like if I'm just kind of you know you're at church or you're in the park or you're this and you're just being regular that's fine it's when I open my mouth against white people or against what whiteness did to us that's when I'd be told I wasn't black enough and that was it wasn't very often it wasn't very often it just happened on occasion it was a part of my confusion about who I was as an adult though and and probably this happens around age 20 or 21 or something like that so young adult I finally get to a point where I'm pretty grounded in my mixed raceness I'm like look I know I look yellow but I'm black I, you know, I grew up black, my culture is black, everything that I'm interested in is black. And, um, and I feel that like, I understand 
blackness better than I understand anything else. And even though essentially I'm half white, I don't know those people. I knew one white relative my whole life, which was my British grandmother. I only met my my Caucasian grandfather like a handful of times. Um, so I, I don't understand whiteness. I don't feel grounded in whiteness, but I know that I'm part white. So I acknowledge it. I just don't talk about it much. And I'm I'm just a Japanese and black girl. So I feel comfortable in it. And then uh, President Obama gets elected and a new kind of identity crisis pops up. And that is the idea about whether or not we were African-American or whether or not we were black. Um, And for me, I was never comfortable with African-American. One, because it's a continent and it erases where we come from, where we were stolen from. And two, I don't have a bridge back there. I don't know where we're from. And so to claim it felt um, false or appropriative or something. And, uh, and people kept calling him the first black president. And it really bothered me because to me, he did seem like the first African-American president. And of course the first mixed race president that we had acknowledged as a mixed race president. And now we know there's been more, but um uh, knowing that he, he could be a mixed race president, but only be seen as black sent me into the, another identity crisis of, well, if it, if it's just because of his skin color, he gets to be black, then what do I get to be? You know, <laughs> I don't look like any race. I don't, I'm really ambiguous looking. If I'm on the East coast, I'm uh, Dominican and Puerto Rican. If I'm on the West Coast, I'm Mexican or Filipino. Like I never get to be what I am visibly. So I, I I went through kind of a spiral of trying to understand what race and identity meant for me as an adult, and it was quite a bit different. I felt actually a lot more comfortable as a mixed race person as a child than I did as an adult. Um, but you know, searching and researching and looking at things and and interacting with people, I, I I get grounded again in my mixed race identity, and I understand that, you know, mixed raceness is is more about culture that you're brought up in. Um, it does have to do with your identity. It's a combination, a mix a mixed identity. Uh, I'm sorry, mixed mixed ethnicity, and, and uh, what cultures you were brought up in. With me. In my grandmother's house, I was Japanese, and in the world, I was black. So I am black and Japanese. Um, that is my culture. Uh, that's both. It is also my ethnicity, but primarily, it is my culture, and therefore, my identity is very solid in those things. Um, as a how how it how it affects me now as an adult compared to how it affects me as a as a child is a lot definitely a lot different. But in the common theme throughout my life, my mixed life was I was always happy I was this way because my monoracial friends seemed boring. They didn't get, you know, they didn't get to have like Japanese New Year and Christmas in July. You know, um, they didn't get to they didn't get to have, you know, the stereotypes that we love about ourselves, the ones that we make jokes about um, that we don't want other people on the outside making jokes about like uh, CP time. We love being late on the black side, but we don't want white people to tell us that we're late all the time. Well, I'm also Japanese. They love being early. So I have this joke about me being I'm Japanese and black. So I'm either 15 minutes early or half an hour late. But I don't like other people to call me on that. Like if I'm too early or if I'm too late, that's my thing. That's not anybody who's not Japanese or black can say anything about it. So I think in terms of mixedness, it's it's a question of... (sighs) 
finding the moment where you enjoy that you're different or enjoy that you are all of these things that you have all these cultures that you get to pull from and and ignoring the fact that sometimes people are racist to you and that's really kind of the only thing that's been common throughout my childhood to adulthood in terms of my mixedness is that I always loved being mixed. Um, how I deal with different things like racism or pride, racial pride um, as a, an adult versus how I did as a child has changed quite a bit, but um, our political ch- climate changes us all the time. So, yeah, <laughs> I think that's, that's probably the best way I can explain it. Hopefully I answered your question. Uh, 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 yeah, you got it. <laughs> I'm like, do I have any follow-ups? No, I, I think you covered. I, I, I think you got it. I think you did. I that. mean, I literally only talk about being mixed every, all the time. Like, it's almost the only topic I talk about. So you, you, you have to shut me up, or I'll keep going. So, so oh. you're like surface, or is it? No, you're like the deal. I'm sorry, you're the deal. Yeah, you only talk about being mixed on two occasions. That's day. And night, right? Yeah, okay. You know, just checking. Um, well, it's it's dope that you're here. I really do appreciate it. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm quite sure that uh, that that little girl that uh, the, the Becky that you dealt with in third grade uh, is still working somewhere at Denios out in Roseville. So don't worry and about it. As soon her. as you said that, I could hear the song in my head. <laughs> See, that's how it works here. Every time I close my eyes, I think about my skin color. And no matter how the season is, I still think about my skin color with all my heart. Yeah. yeah. I I talk about uh, being hierarchical in my in sort of my identity thing. And um, this is this tends to be problematic for some people who don't talk about being mixed as often as I do, at least on my show. When I say I'm hierarchical about it, they're like, what? What does that mean? Shouldn't you love everything? Um, I'm black first. I know I don't look black except for the black people, they can usually tell from, from looking at me, but um, I I'm black first because my experience and my culture, uh, they're the people that I identify with the most are the people I love the most. They're the people who have at times in my life loved me the most. And so I'm black first. I'm more immersed in blackness and then Japanese-ness, but only kind of in private because I could only really be Japanese at home. Um, in public, I wasn't allowed, like, it, there was a lot of problems with me being mixed race to my Japanese side of the family. Um, it was already bad enough that my grandmother had kids with white people, but then, uh, with a white guy, but then her kids had kids with a black guy, like, Japanese don't like to mix. And so in public, I wasn't even allowed to be my grandmother's granddaughter. Uh, If we saw people she knew that were part of the Japanese community, we were some kids of a friend that was that was hanging out or something like that. Um, And then, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then with my Japanese extended family, they didn't know we were black and they didn't understand why we were so brown during the summer, you know, like during the summers, we'd go to visit our family in Hawaii for like a month or something. And we'd be really dark by the end of that month. And they'd like, well, what is their dad? And we would always say American (laughs) and whatever that meant to them. We let them, we let them think of whatever that meant to them because we weren't, we were told from a very young age not to talk about being black um, or that our dad was black. Don't show any pictures of my dad uh, because we would be disowned. And that's a big part of Japanese culture. Like you can get disowned for doing, for stepping outside or dishonoring the family or whatever. Uh, When you're raised in it, you don't, think it's weird but i know when i talk to other people they're like oh fuck that um but it's it's how that culture is and um 
yeah, we couldn't tell anybody. So years and years later, as an adult, when I do finally start telling my cousins, they're like, we got it, you know, we got to know, why don't you guys say what your dad is? And we're like, well, he's black, we're black. They were so stunned that one, we kept it, we were able to keep it secret for so long, but um, that it was such a big deal because they grew up in the same time period as I grew up. And so for them, it's not a big deal, but our older generation was really surprised uh, by it. They don't like to talk about it. My grandmother has only asked me two questions over two occasions over the course of 40 years of what, it, what me being black meant, you know, in some way. And, uh, and so it's tough. They don't have black people there. They don't, they don't know how to deal with it. And the only blackness they ever see is poor representation of, of black folks in the media. So they don't have a good example and therefore we're not allowed to be black there. That, that actually was harder to deal with as an adult than as a child. I didn't know it was weird until I was an adult that we had to keep it a a secret. And now because of that, I don't keep anything a secret. (laughs) Now being in a situation where you had to keep it a secret, like how did your dad deal with that? I mean, I, 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 I know that, I mean, that has to be just a very, difficult situation where it's like I love your mom with all my heart but at the same time I can't come around you know I I can't come around your other side of the family because of racism like was it ever really called out like a spade is a spade like this or was it always like with my daughter she her mom is white and so she will sometimes mask the behavior of her, my daughter's great grandparents um, on that side by saying, well, they're from mm-hmm. the old ways, you know, they're from the old time. They're from the old. Yeah. I hate ways. that. <laughs> Which, yeah, I've always hated that phrase. And it's like, well, the old school kept me and my daughter off of your grandfather's porch until the day he was about to die. And then all of a right. sudden we're getting to heaven. Um, but how did like for myself, I, I, it was so frustrating to me that it actually caused like an issue uh, within our relationship. Cause I was like, your, your grandparents don't want to acknowledge our daughter unless you say that she's something that she's not. Um, and she was like, well, that's how we got to get by. And I was like, I don't want to get by. I want to be, right. I want her to be aware of whom she is all the way through did your parents have any situations like that that you were aware of or did you uh ever feel like maybe your dad was getting like maybe excluded from a lot of situations because he was a black man uh well in our case there was a lot of other things that kind of that trumped i guess the race thing initially and that was that my mom was 14 when she was pregnant and my dad was 16 they Literally, I think I am the only planned pregnancy of a 14-year-old. Um, my my mother had a very abusive situation with her father. My father had a very abusive situation with his father. And they, being the geniuses that they were at 14 and 16, thought that if they got pregnant, they could get kicked out. Mm-hmm. Um, and which worked. You know, they got pregnant. They got kicked out. My At the time that my mom got kicked out, though, I don't believe they knew my dad was black. They may have had an inkling for it because my mom probably she always she was always attracted to to black boys when she was younger too. Um, but what happened was my mom is a few months pregnant and my grandfather um, 
on my dad's side lived close to my my grandmother and so my mom was staying there temporarily until they got until they were figuring out what their next step was and the next step was that my dad was being signed up for the navy at, at it, you know advance because he was so young with the a child and my grandfather my white grandfather drove down the street and saw my mom kissing my dad on a street corner uh so that's how they found it so the the teen pregnancy part is what drove the family apart the the blackness was just gravy on the the whole you know you're not part of the family sunday basically and uh, so they always knew there was going to be a a separate thing um and my parents they they stayed together for nine years which i don't understand why they they definitely weren't suited for each other and my brother and i my full brother and i are five years apart in age um so they're that's a weird thing too but they were already divided because of the age thing and the fact that my mom was a teen mom the only reason why we ended up back in the family on the japanese side was because my younger aunt my mom's youngest sister was only like 13 when I was born and she wanted to see me and so my grandmother had to drive her and when my grandmother saw me and saw that I wasn't brown um and I was super cute uh (laughs) as a baby (laughs) you know like cuteness changes families sometimes I guess and so uh what happened is like they put a hat on me my grandma thought I was so adorable plus I wasn't brown my mom got herself back in the family and it was touch and go there was always like we would go live with my dad in Texas while he was in the Navy. And then they would get in a fight and break up and would go back to my grandmother. So my grandmother had more reasons to dislike my father than just the fact that he was black. It was, you know, they had this tumultuous relationship and they were teenagers and all this other kind of drama. Uh, so it was never really going to be a question that we were going to be one big happy family uh, in terms of both sides of my family. But the my dad definitely dealt with the racism on and both my, his relationship with my mom and the relationship he had after with his wife and and his other children um that he had after us it was the in that case the father-in-law was like i can have a black breast friend but my daughter can't marry a black man type of thing so their their marriage was delayed for a while while they figured out how she was still going to be able to marry this man that she was in love with and stay with her, you know, stay within her family. Um, I guess after a while they had like a tentative, it's okay to, we'll be nice and cordial, but really we're not happy about it. And I think it also helped that the the other kids that he had didn't present black either. Um, My two half siblings and I look the most alike compared to me and my full brother. We, and we all have black features. We just don't have dark skin. Um, and, uh, and so I think in both sides of the family, it was just a thing about other things got in the way, but race was certainly a part of it. Uh, Even if you got past the other stuff, the race was going to prevent them from being a part and they, they knew it from the jump. So I, I don't know how much pain it may have caused, but it was already known. It wasn't, we were never going to be surprised by let's, let's have a family gathering type of thing. That was never going to happen. Hmm. It's day and and night. I know I don't. Sorry. <clears throat> <laughs> I guess too, like when you grow up with this kind of stuff, where where you're already sort of learning from a young age to keep things quiet and to um, it, it, you're just prepared for separation. Like I always, I was always surprised when I found out that people knew both sides of their family. 
Um, <laughs> like when friends were like, oh, this is my grandpa from the from this side and that's my grandma. Like when they could see their both of their grandparents in the same space, mm-hmm. that baffled me because that was never going to be a thing for me. So I didn't know other families had this. And when you're growing up like that, you don't know it's weird until you meet people that don't do it. I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I would say that it has like hindsight pain. My, you know? uh, my grandma on my dad's side uh, was is uh has always been uh Georgia royalty um even when they moved from Georgia all the way to 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 uh Washington she was still a peach <laughs> and uh my mom uh failed the paper bag test and as such Ah, the paper bag test. As such, my grandma didn't want anything to do with her and denigrated her to her face mm-hmm. and denigrated her to my dad and denigrated her to whoever would hear her. Um, and um, so we never had all the grandparents in the same place at the same time because my grandmother yeah. quite simply didn't want to be anywhere that my mom was. Their relationship was caustic i think <laughs> on, on the soft end yeah. Yeah, on, the, on the soft end of steel wool that was their relationship with dipped in acid um they still don't talk uh my mom and dad mm-hmm. haven't been together for a long time and my mom said her first words to my grandma in about 17 years uh this past uh june i think when we went up for my cousin's college graduation, my grandma was there because it was on my dad's side. My grandma was there, and so they spoke literally four words. Mm. Um, and it's 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 weird to see uh, two people that you, at the very least, admire. You know, uh, you you're not right. you're not obligated to love somebody who treats somebody that you love so much so badly i think that that's i think that kids need to know that like you don't have to give somebody some sugar if they're treating somebody that you love like trash you don't have to do that uh, right. we need to stop forcing kids to do that just because they're older than you because that ends up being where they feel like nobody's listening to their their protests or what they actually want but um my grandmother She was always the type of person who would say, um, you're too dark. She, mm-hmm. She's very, very light. Uh, she would tell my mom she was too dark. And my mom would get, my mom actually got a complex about that. There are certain things that you remember from very young. Yeah. That you never, ever really let go of, or I can never really let go of. I find that that's a thing that I, that's a gift that I have is the, 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 the gift of vengeance. Oh yeah, I got I got that too. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, I'm Japanese, and it's an art form. <laughs> yeah, the, the gift of grudges. That's that's what I have. I have the gift of the the eternal grudge. It's it sounds like something you open up in a in a Zelda chest. Um, <laughs> but I feel that, and so I always tried to make sure that um, the relationship with my daughter's grandmother and my mom were always just, they were always together 
uh, whenever possible, which has worked out well, except for the fact that uh, my daughter's grandma, uh, again, white woman, uh, I don't know what they're mixed with, but it's 95% white, um, voted for Trump. Yeah, that's 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 a whole other thing too. Yeah, and uh, it's hard to not have true allyship even amongst your own family. Exactly, mm-hmm. and my daughter was like, "I can't talk to her, Dad. I can't. Uh, I I keep trying to ask her, why would you do this against? Why would you vote for somebody who you know is so openly against myself, my dad, my dad's side of the family? Why would you do that?" And she said, I mean, even as a woman, obviously, he's against. Oh, no, she didn't see that at all. No, of um, course not. And the reason that she gave was I'm a Republican. I have to vote on party lines. Mm-mm. So, yeah, no. uh, when my daughter spoke with other parts of her family on that side about it, they got very upset with my daughter for questioning why her grandma would vote for Trump. And that's when the divide started because my daughter has always, even from a very young age, she uh, would tell her cousins, nah, I'm black. I'm black. He's black. He's black. He's black. We're all black. You got any more questions? This one, she was like three. I'm black. Her hair was was curly. She was sitting on the block uh, at my granny's house, surrounded by my cousins, eating a lollipop or eating a popsicle. We have pictures. She's in um, diaper and flip flops, eating a popsicle, surrounded by five black boys bigger than her. And she's turned around and pointing to each of them, putting her finger directly in her chest. You're black. You're black. You're black. You're black. You're black. And I'm black. And it's been that way. And so when she finally realized that all her kin folks ain't down for all her skin folks, it broke her heart. Yeah. So that's why I always wonder how like like it it, it being in a in a situation where both my parents uh are black, even though they weren't able to stick together because of uh the military abuse and just my dad's a fucking ass sometimes um we had the comfort of everybody being black even though my grandma pulled the paper bag out but dealing with it where one side is one uh race and then the other side is uh completely opposite like literally the the at the direct opponent to what you are for my daughter it's it's she doesn't she doesn't shy away from talking about it but it's like a war every time she goes back to her mom's house she said that her mom would say stuff that she wouldn't even that before she wouldn't even think about now she just looks at her mom she's like why why would you say something like that she's 16 now i mean that's real here here's the thing that people need to hear and this drives me nuts in terms of when it's a white mix inside the the mixed raceness is that just because the white person had a child with a person of color does not make that white person not racist i'm not here claiming that all white white people are racist but i have a white grandfather who went to japan stationed there during the war and brought him back a yellow wife he put her in american domestic classes so that she could learn how to be an american wife he she basically married his help and had her in his house and treated her as such their whole marriage meanwhile he had his 
Aryan wife down the road that he seemed to honor and lift up more, even though she wasn't a, a legal wife because he had married my grandmother in Japan or whatever. But, you know, he married the help, basically, and treated her as such. His best friends all married, um, you know, sisters of my of my grandmother and things like that too and um same same type of mentality the japanese war bride era was about bringing these yellow brides and that's what they called them yellow brides here to america and and making them american wives um the my even though it's my black grandfather that that married an english woman in england she collected gollywogs and other um like Jim Crow era black memorabilia that she had around her house so even after her and my grandfather split she was always like these black boys are my children like she was always for her sons and and her daughter um but she did prefer that her the ones that were lighter she did say like you know the lighter is better and all that kind of stuff so we're dealing with colorism out out the yang in that case but you're you know you're the one who ends up having a baby with a dark-skinned black man and then you're complaining that your kid's complexion is a little dark um but we have to walk around and go to the kitchen and pull cookies out of a Aunt Jemima style blackface <laughs> cookie jar or walk down the pantry and see a gollywog hanging from a like this bag thing or whatever. I f- you remember how in the 80s they had those crocheted like things where you could put like plants or fruit in it? Do you remember those things? Mm-hmm. Anyways, gollywogs hanging from those type of things. And I remember being young and thinking this is weird, but not knowing what was why my stomach turned when i saw these dolls you know the because it was the inside this white woman's house basically and even though she was my grandmother there was something she would let us know that we were different you know she even though they were her children and my grand and she's my grandmother she would let us know that we were different so white people who do mix with people of color for whatever reasons attraction da 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 they still view themselves as the standard and the person of color is still the other and their children is an extension of that otherness and they don't even think about some of the stuff that they say on occasion they don't they 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 sometimes don't realize it but that you have to call them out on their stuff because you're talking about like in your daughter's case if they're voting against if they're voting for asterisk 45 they are telling her that her life isn't as valuable as their politics mm-hmm and I don't have room for that in my life. I mean, I we have a divide right now with my in-laws, um, who are Oklahoma white folks and uh, Trump supporters and stuff like that. Uh, oh, I said his name. I don't normally say his name. But, um, you know, and, and there's this thing. It's like, okay, well, they're, you're voting against your own interests. You know, he he doesn't care about women's rights. Well, you know, they're getting older, so they don't really get affected by women's rights. Okay, well, you've got mixed-race grandchildren, and they're voting against their rights. But really, are they? You know, like, there's just all this stuff. It's it's more important that they go down party lines than, than about actually paying attention to the values and stuff like that. And if you're going to stare your uh, POC grandchildren, POC children, whatever, in the face and say, I'm still going to vote this way... I don't have any space for you anymore. <laughs> I just don't. I, it's not healthy for me. It's not safe for me. My body is obviously not safe near you or near your politics. I got to back up. So I, I, I really, I'm, I'm impressed that your daughter has gotten there at the age that she is. And I'm sure that there's a lot of pain associated with that. And I, I 100% have been there with her too. But um, that she's speaking up on it already and she's not letting it slide is is impressive i'm glad she's i'm glad she's got that well um 
Gogo has always been my right hand. So, um, to put it lightly, she's always, like I said, from the age of three, she spoke out on what she sees. Um, and we just this past month, she led a protest at her at Sac High. Um, Nice. Because they weren't uh, hiring black teachers. She's she is like I said, she's keenly aware of the issues facing black women, uh, primarily uh, and, and, and black people as a whole. Um, and so I don't think she ever thought, OK, I, I don't think I should talk about this on this side because she was able to talk about it on our side. We would sit down and have full on conversations about racism and, and about persecution and about uh, just whatever came across uh, when she was younger. So as she got older and got to that side of the family again, hey, it works over here. Is it going to work over here? And and she learned very quickly something that we all know to be fact, which is that white women don't like to be confronted. And uh, we'll no. cry. They do not. <laughs> we'll, we'll cry on the drop of a dime to get out of a conversation. And she was like, dad, that is a slippery trap that they got mm-hmm. where they just burst into tears. Um, you know, Weaponized white tears. My favorite thing. <laughs> Shantae. What's up? Yo. <laughs> hey. What's up? Hey. Insights. I'm just, I'm just, uh, listening like uh like i'm married to a white dude i have a biracial son a biracial daughter and they my son is very you know my son is just like he's he says that he's mixed and it's kind of a weird thing for me not that he's identifying as as mixed or anything it's well Basically, it's like my son, he looks white, as white as he could look, I guess. However, it seems like if you Mm -hmm. put him next to, like, actual white children, it's clear that he's not white. Mm -hmm. You know? So, it's Mm -hmm. this kind of, I guess I'm glad that he says that he's mixed versus saying that he's white. Because I don't want someone to basically look at him and then see him with other quote unquote white children and be like, you ain't white. You yeah. know, that that kind of thing. So it's 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 a uh, I know for me it's trying to let him decide how he wants to feel about himself. But obviously acknowledging that, you know, I'm black. Like this is me. Yeah. I'm a black woman. You know, like when people see me, I'm a black woman. It's just it's it's weird because uh he started middle school and somebody asked uh, if he was adopted. And I think maybe because maybe they've seen. That's so common. Yeah. And I think it's because maybe they've see, they see him who is, you know, he is clearly not my shade. You know, he's way on the other end and everything compared to me. And so I'm wondering if they just think, you know, he's not like, 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 like obviously, depending on how, how you've grown up and everything, 
you might be totally you might totally understand that there's all kinds of different shades that can happen within a family. So if you right. had that experience, you're not going to say like, oh, well, of course, that's not your parent versus another child who has only seen a certain type of, you know, shade range. So that means anything else. Well, that ain't your kid, you know. So, right. it's, you know, I don't I don't take that personally, but I guess it was just I wish that hadn't happened. You know, but he's but he's taking it, you know, he was just like, no, I'm not adopted. That's my mom. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, the the mix the the mixed kid thing where they this is something that comes up on my show a lot, too, is that if the if the mother is the person of color, whatever, whatever that is, that translates into you're the nanny usually. And if the mother is white, then she's either adopted these, you know, lucky little brown children um, and given them a better life or, or something like that. You know, like it's, it doesn't usually follow first people somehow that it's a white mother to from white people on, on the white, white side that they would view the white mother as having produced these brown children with, with the flip side, it, you know, it's usually um, I had a, a guest the other day whose, whose mother is um, black French. And so her and her daughter would speak French to each other. And, and then her white friends would say, why are you speaking French to your nanny? Like, why did you even bother learning French for your nanny? And, um, and it's this thing, I don't understand what's, I don't understand if there's just so much lack of diversity in white families that they can't fathom you know, like you're saying, in black families, we're used to being multiple shades. Um, I mean, the thing about being black Americans, if we do uh, descend from the transatlantic slave trade, is that, you know, there's if there's different shades of brown in us, that's because there was white trauma far, you know, further back. And so sometimes we're not as, as dark as as other members of our families and stuff like that. And so to, to one, to ignore that we have that trauma by looking at us and then two, to assume that we're not even family. Uh, I mean, that's, that's extremely offensive, but, but tack it onto a child's brain who hasn't had a chance to even process some of the differences that they are um, or, or ground themselves in whether or not they identify more as one race or the other. Um, or if they're finding a way to balance them. Like I've gotten to a place in my life where I've gotten to be able to balance them for the most part, but I still identify more on the black side. Um, and I think a lot of us mixed race kids that look POC tend to go with whatever the people see us as. I, I don't get that. I don't have the opportunity because of how racially ambiguous I look. My, my facial features and my skin color and my hair do not match up. They can't figure me out. Um, whereas like, um, I have cousins that are, you know, mo black and white and they look light skinned black. And so they're always black. They, they get to, they get to just be black if they want to be, um, they don't have to fight for it as much as I do. And in the case of the white passing kid, and this is something I'm only just now getting a chance to talk to people on. And I'm, I'm really fascinated by what they go through is that they have to decide if they are allowed with quotation fingers to be a person of color because mm -hmm. they look white and there's so much pain that that child experiences and into adulthood and the people that I've talked to so far that have this situation where they feel that because of their presentation, they, they don't want to get in the way or bump somebody's from the seat of the table because they, you know, like bump a darker skinned person off the table because they present whiter. They're so nervous about 
talking about their mixed race heritage or talking about the other thing or even choosing not choosing but even identifying with the poc side more than the white side and the fact of the matter is if we're mixed we're never going to be seen fully as one of our things i mean we we have to really really present hardcore like you said with your son if they're probably walking down the street people think he's white unless he's around white kids and then oh there's something different about him like he, oh gosh, I, I just hate what they're doing, what they do to kids, because you're already dealing with identity stuff as you're growing up. And then to tack on also, I don't know if I'm black or white, or I don't know if I'm Japanese or black, you know, it's just an extra thing that is so frustrating. And uh, and to accuse mothers of being adopted or um, or nannies is another thing. Like, there's just so much racism that is tacked or directed towards mixed race families or interracial families that is different than monoracial racism. That's why I focus that conversation because I don't have the experience of monoracial racism. I only have the experience of mixed race racism. So I, I try to talk about it so that people know this is a thing too. And mixed race families have a lot extra stuff that they have to deal with in preparing their kids to be adults. Right. Right. And also and and also for for my son in particular, I have no idea if it was white kids or black kids asking uh, if he was adopted because there's been because he I he goes to a we live in a predominantly black district. So his predominantly black schools that he's gone to and those kids have I mean, like they've asked, you know, like black kids, is that is that your daughter? is that your son, you know, I've like, they, they've asked me. So it's, 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 it's the, it's not, I guess I'm, I don't want it to necessarily uh, assume that, yeah, that black kid, that black people under are, are familiar with the possibility of genetics and that you could have, you know, that they, if they don't have the experience of the super light skinned uncle, you know, mm. with blue eyes, then it doesn't occur to them that that's even a possibility you know where for me it was just like you know I could like I was telling my son the other day I was just like I know you feel how you feel but you you have the eye color of my uncle like that's my side of the family you know Mm. that's over here you know kind of thing so it's not you know so you don't have to well not even that you don't have to do anything it's just like you are a multitude of things you know, yeah. you got all kinds of stuff going on that isn't like why you look the way that you look and I look the way that I look. There's all kinds of stuff behind me that has fought, you know, that is poured into you and why you look the way that you look. Yeah, I think this other part about mixedness that I that I like to talk about or, or need to learn a lot more about is how the parents feel when their mixed race child identifies opposite of what they look like, whether the parent is white or black or Asian or Latinx. Um, I've heard things of, of parents saying, you know, he looks more like his father or he looks more like his mother. I don't really get to see myself in it. And it kind of hurts when he tells people he is, you know, and whatever it is that, that they say. Um, And like I don't have that experience. I don't know. I don't know how to talk about that. And I want to know more about. Like I, I could hear it a little bit in your voice when you when you first started out saying um, that you were glad that he does identify as as mixed because it, 
you know, I guess what you're saying there is probably that you're not erased fully. Um, well, it's not, it's not even that it's, it's not even like, cause he acknowledges that I am his mother and that I am black. He understands that what I worry about is by him, but if he is acknowledging that he's mixed, then he doesn't have to have someone knock his head, you know, knock his perception right. of himself loose because he's identifying as if he was identifying himself as white, you know, right. because he because he looks that way where with you. And that's why I was saying where if you put him up because it was it was one of those things where like when he was uh, in soccer and it was a lot of other white kids around him and it was just like that baby is mixed. You know, it was just like mm-hmm. that was when you look at him compared to other white children, it was just like, okay, that baby is mixed, you mm-hmm. know, and it's just, it's that kind of thing where I don't want someone to, you know, shake his identity that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, what I hope for mixed people is that they do get comfortable in their skin however that means whether they identify as mixed or or identify one way or the other um for me my thought or or at least my goal with my show is is in terms of empowering people to like live their mixed ass life whatever that is is um that their identity is their own and when because i grow up in a situation where when i'm in my japanese grandmother's house i'm japanese i'm not allowed to be anything else really and when i'm um with my other side of the family we were like black brits i guess my my nana on that side is is uh, british so we we had a whole different thing. Even from other black people, we were different because we sometimes spoke with British accents or, or used British slang and things like that. So we were slightly different there. Um, so you grow up all these segmented things. And then as an adult, you're trying to piece yourself together. And when I speak to people who are mixed who say like, oh, I don't think because I don't look a certain way, I'm allowed to claim that. You know, I'm like, if you feel that way, that should be where you cl- what you claim and where you feel comfortable. And I, I hope that through more conversations, at least things that we didn't do back in the 80s and 70s when I was growing up, um, but that we're hopefully doing now is that we're talking to our families about our identities. Um, that way it's not so scary when you come out as mixed or come out as whatever. Uh, I say come out as mixed because um, there is a reveal, you know, you may look one way and identify differently and you'll have to reveal that at some point and, and then own it afterwards. And if they get to feel empowered and comfortable in their skin and they know that their families are, you know, going to be there and participate and contribute to that identity, it'll ground them a lot easier. When, when I talk to younger people that are still dealing with their crisis, I'm not really too concerned that they won't get there eventually. But when I talk to someone like my age, like recently who said, I don't even know if I'm allowed to claim mix because I look white. Um, but she grew up with this Peruvian background and everything like that. I, you know, I felt bad for her that she did, you know, no one ever allowed her to be who she wanted to be. They decided for her. And, um, I hope we're getting out of that. Like in terms of the modern, like 2018, I hope we're getting out of that. Um, but I also hope that children learn to, how their parents feel, especially if they're biracial, if they're, you know, biracial kids of an interracial couple that, you know, there's going to be times when it might hurt their parents that they identify one way or the other and that they should be at least somewhat um, sensitive to understand the reasons why that is, too. 
um it's just complicated like being mixed is complicated <laughs> like i don't know i don't know what it is that's why i want to talk about it so much because i know that my mixed race experience is, is unique from biracial people and i know that um a white presenting or a black presenting or a Latinx presenting person who has a different race hidden back there is a different experience too. So like, I want to know all of it. I want, I want to feel all of the different experiences, but at the same time, I prioritize blackness over everything uh, just because I feel like that's where it needs. I don't know how to say it. I, Black people need equality in a way that they have never seen and no Civil Rights Act or no Emancipation Proclamation it had ever given us. And if that means we have to offset the balance and, and, and like I guess Ruth Bader Ginsburg says it about the Supreme Court, until there are nine women, the fight for equality isn't over. I feel the same way with black people until black people can be at every level of every part of American life. We don't have equality. And, um, however people identify, I think they always need to keep in the back of their mind that whatever their POC portion of them can should kind of take precedent because of the disadvantages that we have as people of color. It's my own thing, but I hope that I hope it's not too hard for other people, but I just feel like that's that's my that's my way of being mixed, I guess. Indeed. We'll be right back. This single simulcast. Uh, this is Ray, uh, a.k.a. Black Show Bob, and you're listening to Single Simulcast. You're listening to Single Simulcast with Rashani and my mom. Shante Fabulous. What's up? This is your girl, Diamond Styles, And I'm Mia Mix. And I'm Zaheer. And we are Marsha's Play. And you are listening to Single Simulcast. This is Rainbow, and you're listening to Single Simulcast with Shante and Shante Fabulous. Remember, put a coaster under that. My name is Nikki Blue, and I am the resiest red kid you will ever find. What's up, y'all? This is Charmaine, a.k.a. Mixed Girl Maine from Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective, and you are listening to Single Simulcast. That was, that simply, was simply sensational. sensational. Single, Single Simulcast will surely surface speedily. Hi, this is your man Jeremy from the Crown of Collars podcast, and you are listening to Single Simulcast with my man Rashani and Shante Fabulous, your favorite podcaster's favorite podcaster. And I'm your favorite podcaster, so that should be your favorite podcaster, because I'm your fave, fave, and your fave, fave. Check them out on Single Simulcast, and check out Crown of Collars. Found wherever you can find great podcasts and the CSPN Network. Hello, this is Stephanie from the Mocha Menace Podcast. If you can hear my voice, that means you're tuning in to two of my faves, Rayshani and Shante Fabulous of the single Simulcast. Congrats, you made a really good choice today. You want to make another good choice? Check me out on the Mocha Minutes Podcast. 
You won't be disappointed. If you're tuning in to the single simulcast, you're going to love the Mocha Minutes podcast too. You can find the Mocha Minutes podcast wherever you find your podcast. We'd love to have you tune in. Okay. Bye. My name is Jordan Redfield Wade. Well, well, well. If it isn't the so-called people's champion. By day, I'm a philanthropist and private investigator. You risked your own life to try and protect someone who needed it. If that's what's needed to be a hero, then I want to help. But by night, I protect the people of New York City in a different way. My name, champ, is Redwing. Do I need to count the sheer number of felonies you committed today? As she lay dying, I promised my mother that I would fight for those who couldn't fight for themselves. And I refused to let her down. I would do anything to keep you safe. You know that. Anything. Even murder? If that's what it took, then yes. I am the defender of Newark City. Justice is not something you can manufacture. I am Red Wing. Hey, everybody, this is Wormhole Matt with the Planet Wormhole Podcast. Please follow me and my wife, Rachel, at Get Off My Planet. Uh, we are going to be talking about a lot of great stuff on Planet Wormhole, so please check us out. Thank you very much for having us on the show. Uh, the uh, Single Simulcast, your favorite podcaster's favorite podcast. It's also my favorite podcast because... I'll be honest, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts, but you guys have really embraced me, and I just, I love you for it. So thank you very much. Like makeup? Interested in mental health? Check out lithiumtolashes.com, where I talk about my own everyday struggles with mental health and beat my face from time to time. This is Single Simulcast. Hi, this is Deshaun, a.k.a. Big Boy 1077 from Spit That Ish Podcast. It's a sports podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and um, that's about it. Uh, we've been doing it for five weeks now. It's pretty awesome. I have a co-host named Justin. We talk about everything current in sports. And um, thanks to Rashani, and this is a single simulcast. We oh, got tons nice. of lawsuits, but did you see the loop de loop? Ah, action park, come get a beer. <laughs> you might get hurt if you're a pussy. If you're a pussy. But come on, man, we got a Don't be a pussy. There's a freaking loop de loop. And yeah, you might get a leg or two broken. <laughs> but really, guys, what Come on happened? out. We got a loopy loop. Why are you acting so scared? Oh my god. There's a loop de loop. A freaking loop-de-loop. By the way, shall I say it again? A loop-de-loop. I need this. I need this six-hour commercial to end. <laughs> and if you die, we got insurance. No, they, but no, they we're don't. We're insuring you. We got a loop-de-loop right there, children. The only insurance There's they have a is loop-de-loop. It. <laughs>
only insurance they have is that you will have fun. In a freaking water park. Ah, uh, they got a cliffhanger. We got a loop-de-loop. <laughs> In fact, our name. It's freaking loop-de-loop. We're not action park anymore. We're officially loop-de-loop. Do you see, children? The freaking loop de loop. Okay, okay, okay. I don't know if I can hear you sing loop de loop one more time. I feel like the core message was loop de loop. That is their whole message. Dog, we have a loop de loop. I, I don't know how that's a thing that makes money. Single simulcast episode three nineteen. Yeah, three nineteen. Three nineteen. <laughs> I feel like we've uh, been just climbing a path, Shante. Like we're we're constantly just it's everything. It's just better and better every single time uh thank you to everybody who's taking time out to share the show listen to the show hear the show appreciate the show things of that nature um not really worried about reviews uh i I mean not totally um i want reviews shantae wants reviews it's shantae i want reviews (laughs) hear that hear that shit hear that that's shantae right there in the build, <laughs> she wants reviews from all y'all niggas. I'm not African. You African. I'm Crenshaw Mafia. All y'all niggas. That's that's from Boys in the Hood. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not African. You're African. You African booty scratcher. You know what? I we was, shouldn't um, say that. I, I was I was I was just about to say there is a podcast by that name. <laughs> is it really? Yeah, like, I just I just discovered it the other day. I was like, what? Uh, I, well. It depends on who's. It depends on who's helming the podcast. Everything's like done. They they explain <laughs> why their podcast is titled that. I was just joking. Like, <laughs> um, I do want to say that uh, I was. Uh, I was made aware a while back, but it really just dawned on me a couple of days ago just how much your own family can really just and and having this conversation. Oh, sorry. Shante's here. Charmaine's here. I'm Shani. Hello. Um, having this conversation we had in the previous uh, segment really just helped me reinforce in my mind just how toxic your family can truly be. And they will never apologize for it because they didn't feel like they were being toxic. Um, mm-hmm. It is extremely important in this day and age that if you are trying to be a better person, which I hope that each and every one of y'all are. Otherwise, what are we doing here, really? Uh, that you take time out to be the one to uplift your children. Uh, And if you do something that even makes your child the slightest inkling of embarrassed or or, uh, feel separated, be aware of it. I mean, it may not always necessitate an apology, but at least respect them enough to give them an explanation. Uh, Nobody wants you to just be a blind dick. If you're going to be an asshole, at least explain to him this is why I did this. This actually had a purpose. Um, try and avoid using if and um, however 
don't try and use their age against them. Just be aware of what you're doing and the fact that a lot of times the most toxic things that we receive um, are things that are given to us in very small doses. But even over the span of years, if you take the same toxic thing over the span of years, it'll eventually build up to being something completely poisonous in your life. So um, I today decided that I am uh, full on in the thoughts and prayers party. Um, it is my thing now. Um, I am going to say thoughts and prayers, but I'm going to say thoughts and prayers with a caveat. I am going to say thoughts and prayers whenever I disagree with somebody, but I don't really want to get into it. <laughs> when I know that you're wrong as shit and I just really don't want to fight you on it. And you're just like, nah, Trump's the best president we ever had. Thoughts and prayers. Okay. So this straight sounds like, well, I'm going to pray for you. Bless your heart. Yeah, this is like, you know, old black woman retorts, but you just say thoughts and prayers. Yeah, because thoughts and prayers literally mean nothing, like they're words to me. So they throw some bull to me, and I throw it right back at them with thoughts and prayers. Or um, I'll nod. I'll nod like Mariah Carey nodded when she was saying that she didn't know who J-Lo was. I will nod my head. (laughs) 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 thoughts and prayers um but it is very important to me that people know that i don't mean it just like people don't mean it when they say thoughts and prayers when something bad happens i just want you to know that if i say thoughts and prayers to you you don't deserve either um i just really (laughs) want you to get away from it that's my new thing and i've used it like three times now um so how to go over uh they didn't even get it like it's so (laughs) That's what's so awesome about those. Bless your heart. Oh, that's so sweet. Right? Because they are so far off in their own mindset of whatever horrible fuckery they're thinking that they're just like, oh, he's co-signing me. And I'm not. I'm just like, (laughs) thoughts and prayers. Well, uh, you know, Obama did this. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers be with you. But, um... I also want to point out that while I am saying thoughts and prayers to dang near everybody moving that I disagree with, there's a special place in hell for each and every one of y'all who have come up to me and said, but white men haven't gotten sent to jail yet. Right? Let's talk about that shit. That, okay, don't make me have to def- don't make me have to defend Bill Cosby, what he was convicted of, by saying but white guys haven't been like they all need to be there. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I oh gosh. I, I, I didn't want to go too deep into it, but niggas, white folks, white folks haven't even come to me with this shit yet. They know better. It is because well, they're getting the pass right now, so they're just laying low. It is skin folk who are coming up to me and saying, "Damn, Cosby's gotten ten years." But Harvey Weinstein hasn't, and I was like, nah, that nigga's in court right now. Oh, well, uh, what about Charlie Sheen? Oh, uh, well, what about, and I'm like, yo, first of all, thoughts and prayers. Secondly, (laughs) it does got a nice ring to it. (laughs) The fact that y'all are bringing up all these white men who are horrible assaults 
uh, horrible sexual, uh, uh, they're fucking rapists. There's no, you shouldn't have to sugarcoat that. If you're a rapist, it should be stamped on your fucking passport. It should be on your driver's license. Instead of organ donor, it should say rapist. Just so you can't run from that shit. Just so you can't hide it. Like, 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 like the folks in, uh, in, um, Inglorious Bastards who were trying to, like, cover up. Right. They were, they were trying to make sure people didn't know that they were a Nazi. So them niggas was cutting, uh, swastikas into their foreheads so they can never take it off. I vote for that. Yeah. Yeah. If you're a rapist, you need to get that scarlet letter uh, tattooed on your forehead and there's nothing you could do about it. But to all y'all who keep coming up in the mentions, in the posts, talking about how this is a miscarriage of justice, about how uh, Bill Cosby didn't deserve any of this. First of all, he deserved more. Right. Three to 10 years ain't that long, people. He's going to get like parole. That's He'll get three soft years in, in celebrity jail, not prison, really. And then he'll be out. And if he doesn't die or whatever, get old and sick, then he'll be fine. Oh, I hope he dies. Mm-hmm. I hope. So here's where my Japanese vengeance comes from. I hope he finds out he's getting out early. And then he dies. And then he dies. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that goes for all of them. All of them. Like, let's say someone decides we're not going to prosecute Harvey Weinstein, and he's like, I'm free. Heart attack. Dead. Gone. <laughs> Boom. Let's do it. Let's cross them all off. And and it's not... One thing that always gets me is when folks say, so-and-so still out there. Harvey Weinstein or or, or, or um, the fucker who made that, um, who who fled and and, and Roman Polanski. He just yeah. got Roman a movie Lizzie. too. Yeah, he just got a movie. I just saw that a few minutes ago. What the hell? Yeah, it's called J'accuse too. Like I accuse you. Mm-hmm. Like you got. I need to know what the subject of this movie is because if it's anything Me Too related, I don't think it is. Like I can't exactly remember exactly what it said, but it. I was because I was looking too. I was like, what the fuck? And it was like. <laughs> But I don't I don't think that's what the premise said it had anything to do with. It seemed like it was just something else, some other type of subject matter or whatever. But it was still just like, what? Mm. Why you name it? Why is it named that? You know, but yeah. Mm. Niggas is so quick to talk about white folks. R. Kelly's still floating around people. You know what I'm saying? We're still playing his music. You hear him and people are rocking out. It's like, no, <laughs> no. So they need we, to be canceled. We are sitting at a point where we are pointing out the white folks who should be getting convicted for the thing that this other rapist got convicted of. And I'm just like, but he's a rapist. He's a rapist. Whether they lock him up now and lock them up later or lock them up altogether, they locked up a rapist. Like, why are you mad about this? Oh, no, I'm not It's mad. a win. I'm not mad. It's just I, I'm not mad at all that because you know he he assaulted those women. He did that. I'm just you know uh he's got so much. He's Cosby. Like he has so much power. He didn't have to. You sound real mad, and you going down a rabbit mm-hmm. hole that I don't want to go down with you. And you know, I saw a tweet the other day that someone said for every white rapist they let go or they let slide, they need to free. Five black rapists. This is a tweet I saw. Um, how Yikes. about all the rapists stay in prison, go to prison, whatever? How about all of that? 
and that that's not the e- that's not the equity we're looking for. We're looking for the ability to vote without our votes being canceled. We're looking for the ability to pay our mortgages and and not have gentrification move us out of our of our neighborhoods. We're looking for being able to walk down the street without being accosted by the police. We're looking to be able to drive without being killed by the police. We're looking for that kind of equity. We are not looking for our actual criminals to be released. Because they haven't put a white criminal of the same crime and away. That, that was the bullshit. That was the one that pushed me over the edge. Was some person who was black. Again, because white folks ain't doing this shit. And if they're doing it, they're doing it in special secret groups that I can't see. Secret so, white people means. Two things. White people, because you're not off the hook. First of all, white folks, y'all ain't said jack shit. Whenever somebody black dies, whenever something bad black happens to black people, y'all get real fucking quiet. Real fucking quiet. But as soon as something happens to a white person or to a white woman, to be more specific, all of a sudden here come the pussy hats. Um, I just want to point that out real quick. Second thing is, if one of y'all can let me know these secret groups, like on Facebook, where the white people are in there talking, like being open and honest and shit, and just let me in, I will appreciate it. Like, just... Just slide a nigga on in and just tell me to change my profile to white. Just change the picture oh to white God. real quick. Oh. I will sneak in there and be like the brother on um, Blades and Saddles. Hey, where are the white women at? Um, and I will take note of every racist thing that happens and I'll report the shit. This, what I'm saying right now is not making y'all <laughs> want to let me in, is it? <laughs> Anyhow. Oh. The second thing that I ran into that 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 just infuriated me, and, and Charmaine, you reminded me of it with that tweet was a person of color who took the time out to think that the most poignant thing that they could post up yesterday was a picture of Brock fucking Turner and Bill Cosby and say Brock Turner only got three years for raping a uh, unconscious woman. Bill Cosby got 10 years and this person of color stood behind that and mm. was fighting tooth and nail. And this was absolutely horrifying to me. That's garbage. That is a garbage person. First of all, Brock Turner only got uh, sentenced to six months and was released for three yeah. because of his little 20 minutes of action that wasn't supposed to ruin his stupid swimmer life. But to want to release any rapist, <laughs> any rapist, because a white wet rapist got less is fucking ridiculous. Like just people seriously get your life together. <laughs> I can't, I can't with people. And it's literally the, the cross that they bear. This is, this is where they are willing to just, this is the hill I die on Bill Cosby. Folks are still calling him America's dad. Like nigga, stop, stop that. Like I, First things first, rest in peace, Uncle Phil. For real. Um, I feel badly for those of y'all who didn't have a dad in your life. I'm not going to put anything else behind that. I'm not going to make a joke out of that. Um, this nigga ain't it. I mean, this nigga hate it. This, I mean, there's speeches where this dude is is denigrating 
black people for the way that they dress, the way Thank they, you, you know, the names that they give their children and, you know, the, the religion that they might have and all this. Different, I mean, this, I mean, it would be, it would make sense to have all this heart eyes or whatever for him if he wasn't the type of person that he was, especially after, uh, after he's obviously, you know, after, you know, Bill Cosby show is over and he's doing, you know, the pound cake speech and just all this stuff. It's just, it's, you know, it's like people kept trying to, you know, people keep saying like, he hated y'all niggas. Like all these dudes who are going up for him, he hated y'all. Right. Hated. Hated y'all. He had nothing. I mean, he probably wouldn't piss on you if you were on fire. R. Kelly would. <laughs> That was wrong. <laughs> no, it, it was low it's hanging fine. fruit, and it was wrong. It was I fine. apologize. No, the fuck, it was not. That was that was absolutely <laughs> wrong. And I am ashamed of myself. That's not even. Oh, I'm not even fine. laughing about that. I am. That popped out of nowhere. <laughs> um, but it's true about Cosby. He's been anti-black for a long time. Look, he's been black elite for, and not just black elite, like. On his own since like the late fifties, early sixties, he didn't right. have any buddies, really. You know, they they weren't letting that many people through the door back then. It was him, and so Sid- he's had that mentality forever. It was him and Sidney Poitier, and that was it. <laughs> Do the hard way, niggas. <laughs> Bootstraps, bitches. Like that was his whole mindset. It was him and Sidney, and like people. Can we? Really, really, this is Rashani. Email me if you wanna. I don't give a flying fuck. I'm. Can I just for one second, Shante? Just for one second, can I just be a little bit, just a little bit more than I usually am in regards to Bill Cosby? Can I, please, just for one second? The nigga ain't shit. Look, his his movie career is fucking horrible. Okay, his he did. One good comedy routine, and he wrote a, a, a TV show that struck us in the 80s because wasn't shit else popping. And, and, and then he fucking judged everybody in that show. He fucking judged somebody so bad that they had to leave acting for a very long time because they did a nude scene while this nigga's fucking raping people. Right. Let's be real about this. He's a fucking hypocrite, and y'all are acting like what he said is gospel truth that he wrote. The shit that he wrote, the shit that he had time to sit down and write. Do you know what that is? That's lies. You know why I know that? Because when my kids walk into a room and come back 10 minutes later with an explanation, I don't believe jack shit they say. Bill Cosby wrote shit for y'all to suck up for like 10 years or however long that fucking show was on the air. He doesn't like you. He doesn't respect you. He doesn't want to be around you. He helps you fucking die. And y'all are like, this is my dad. Well, I'm sorry you had a shitty relationship with your television dad. I'm so sorry that you're chasing fake love. But that nigga still owes me $7 for Leonard Six, motherfuckers. And so he can kiss my whole ass. My asshole. I hope he rots. I hope he dies in prison. I want to believe every single horrible story that I read that happens to him in prison. Like somebody posted up a story that said this nigga got hit in the head with a stale hot dog bun and I laughed <laughs> like why? 
laughed so hard that I scared the white people in my office. I chortled, motherfuckers. Fuck Bill. I cried. Why did it have to be stale, though? <laughs> no, right? Like of all, like at night, not just a hot dog bun, but a stale hot dog bun. But then at the same time, it turns into like, oh man, was it stale? Because it was like, because it was stale. Like everybody got stale hot dog buns because it's prison food, and you know the right. motherfuckers are in prison. You know they're not taking care of them like they're supposed to. It just, it, you know, it just it went all kinds of different it directions. It was real, real fast. <laughs> also. The fact that on his first day there, niggas served him pudding. I laughed. laughed. I want him to get every single bad thing that he ever thought could ever happen to to black people. I want it to happen to him and him only. I want everything bad to happen to him and him only. I don't want bad things to happen. You know what? I'm actually wondering how much his wife knew and how much she shielded but then he started acting like he was a piece of shit around her too saying that he wasn't gonna give her any money your dad is a piece of shit stop caping for this nigga stop defending him stop standing up for people who wouldn't stand for you look this is what i said on uh, twitter a little bit earlier today no matter if they smile at you no matter if they stop and talk with you no matter if they do backflips for you do not trust a snake that you just saw bite your friend. Bill Cosby is a snake. He's always been a snake. And he hadn't bitten us yet. But he bit a gang of women. He bit a gang of motherfuckers. And y'all need to get that thought out your head that these women are lying. Oh, they're trying to come up. How the fuck are they trying to come up? Did y'all see how they treated Anita Hill? Do you see how they treat victims? They're lying because of why. All y'all can kiss my entire whole medium black ass. That's it. Now, with that said, I have stories. That don't involve Bill Cosby falling down a fucking well. Those are just thoughts and prayers. <sighs> but the story is just as bad. I mean, it's not just as bad, but it's, it's pretty fucking horrible. Saudi, David, Saudi Daisy's high school athletic director, Jer- Jared Hensley, was placed on leave after a video featuring comments he made went viral on Wednesday. The video sparked outrage and backlash from many community members who contacted school board members, central offices, and posted on social media. While he was addressing a dress code policy regarding athletic shorts, which students are not allowed to wear at the school, Hensley said, quote, if you really want someone to blame, blame the girls. Because they pretty much ruin everything. They ruin the dress code. They ruin, well, ask Adam. Look at Eve. That's really all you really got to get to. Okay, you can really go back to the beginning of time. So it'll be like that the rest of your life. Get used to it. Keep your mouth shut. Suck it up and follow the rules. I'm going to pause like Dora used to while y'all curse at the screen. I mean, that's, yeah. 
I remember watching it, or when I saw it the first time, I just sat there and was trying to figure out how, like, what joke show this was shot for. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you... This is the, the statements of somebody who's been holding in these kind of thoughts for a really long time. This is not something that's new. Like, anytime that you have an outburst like this, dude's been having an outburst like this for a long time. This is just the first time somebody recorded that shit. Mm-hmm. But goddamn. I mean, clearly he was comfortable enough because he knows he's being recorded for his school. Like it was so casual that it wasn't even a question. He didn't even make a face like, "Oh, I just said something inappropriate," you know, or and caught himself or something like that. He was a hundred percent on board with what his message was. Mm-hmm. Like, and then. Um, he's going to come out and say, you know, my words were taken out of context. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they always say, though. Like, you know, somebody says something out of pocket and it's just like, oh, it was taken out of context. And I think it it works. I think they say it because in the right circle, it works. Yeah. You want to know what the right circle is? Uh, Saudi David, Saudi Daisies. School board representative Rhonda Thurman of District 1 thinks differently than everyone else, especially as her community is dealing with days of torrential rain, flooding, and the death of an elderly woman. Like, I give a fuck. Quote, there's a lot going on right now to be worried about this in Saudi Daisy. There's a whole lot of other things going on right now, people, for us to be mad about this. An elderly woman died. People, it's raining, men. Hallelujah! It's rain. I couldn't help it. Uh, hey, hey! I had to finish it. It's a whole thing. It's there's flooding going on. An old woman died, and y'all are worried about this man saying horribly sexist and misogynistic stuff. Well, here's her quote: "There's a lot going on now to be worried about this." And Saudi David, Saudi Daisy. I'm sorry. That's a stupid fucking name. <laughs> Saudi S O D D Y Daisy D A I S Y Saudi Daisy. Let me try that again. There's a lot going on right now to be worried about this in Saudi Daisy. I'm having a real hard time getting upset about this. I'm not worried about that right now. He meant absolutely no harm by this. She said, this is so ridiculous. Can no one take a joke anymore? He was just talking to the kids in their language and trying to be funny. Hold the fuck on. What? Wait, no. Hold on. What? How is this speaking in the kid's language? What? Wait. I'm confused, sir. Somebody help me. How is denigrating women speaking in the kid's language? That's speaking in his language, and then the kids pick it up, and then you wonder down the line why your town is full of misogynistic, sexist, horrible men. Because boys will be boys because this is the shit they learned. Exactly. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. (sighs) Blame the girls for the athletic shorts, y'all. Also, blame Eve. Fuck it. Blame Canada. It's not even a real country anyway. It's really all you got to get to, okay? You can really go back to the beginning of time and start blaming people. 
also while I'm on my Bible shit, somebody pointed out real quick to me that um there's a verse in the Bible in, in like Deuteronomy that literally says that if a woman if if a woman can't scream then it's not rape. And that's why I am inching further and further mm-hmm. from the church. That is literally one of the reasons why. Because when you read the Bible and you see that shit, you're like, hold up. This couldn't have been written by a God that loves everybody. This is written by men who thought themselves gods. Mm-hmm. <sighs> have that issue. Um, Let me see. A guy in Florida got 20 years uh, in prison. <laughs> For stealing $600 worth of cigarettes. A jury in Pensacola convicted 48-year-old Robert Spellman of burglary and grand theft in August. Authorities say Spellman took 10 cartons of cigarettes from a stockroom in the store manager's office last December. And he was sentenced on Friday. Police found Spellman nearby with the cigarettes in his possession. Uh, he reportedly had 14 felony and 13 misdemeanor convictions prior to the cigarette theft. Which qualified him for a habitual felony offender. That led to the lengthy 20-year prison sentence imposed on Friday by a Scambia County judge. Two things. One, um, 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 you know, I don't know. In California, they get the three strikes law, which is bullshit. But they three right. strikes like so for you to let 14 and 31 go, like that's turning the other cheek like a motherfucker. Um, <laughs> second thing, I am quite sure that he was like of all the times for y'all to give me 20 years just for this bullshit right here. This is shit y'all gonna give me 20 years for. And we all got mad because it's like, oh, you're giving a black man 20 years for $600 worth of cigarettes. But 14 and 31, I mean, that's that's quite a record right there. That's 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 impressive. That's that's a life well lived right there. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how mad I am that he went to jail. Because the nigga's obviously not going to get rehabilitated. And I mean, he didn't even get to. I don't, I don't even know if he smokes. Like nigga, how you gonna steal six hundred dollars worth of cigarettes? The fuck you gonna do with six? Do you have you ever smoked a stale Newport? Yes, yeah, cigarettes go stale, people. I can tell you that because when I lived in Ohio, where white folks didn't smoke Newports, all their Newports were stale because nobody bought them, motherfuckers. I am so sincere. It was such a struggle. I actually. <laughs> That was one of the reasons why I slowed down on smoking and eventually quit because any place where it's all white folks, they didn't fuck with Newports. They didn't fuck with Cools. They didn't fuck with Menthols. You had to smoke them nasty-ass camels. Oh, my God, which tasted like just... So for him to steal $600 worth of cigarettes, uh, them cigarettes going to be stale. I hope he was going back out to slang them. Um, Also, though, that's like uh, Grand Theft. And so it's another felony. So that gives him 30 or 15 felonies and 31 misdemeanors, um, which qualified him as habitual. Habitual. It, it, it does sound habitual. Yeah, he's, a, he's a habitual <laughs> line stepper. Every so often, he's, he's, he's 48. He's 48. He's had 45 arrests. Habitual. Let him go. Like, I was really reading this initially, and I was like, I'm going to get mad about this, and I'm going to stand up. No, I'm not. (laughs) No, I'm not. 45 years old, or 45 and 48 is impressive AF. 
to steal something from you, Charmaine. That is impressive. That is <laughs> that is that is literally, nigga. I, I don't even want you living in my neighborhood. I, I'm gonna judge the shit out of you. Rashani goes racist in five, four, three, <laughs> two, one. I'm scared you're gonna break into my house. <laughs> I'm literally being prejudiced about this. Like, it's not about the skin the color of your skin. It's about the length of your record. Like, I don't want that in my area because I'm scared that you're going to steal my cigarettes. Why fucking cigarettes? Like, nigga, vape. He could have used his currency in the prison that he's going back to. That is true. He was planning for the future. <laughs> I'm just, like... 45 and 48 that is that's that's sad thoughts and prayers but at the same time it's like 45 and 48 nigga like no you need to get 20 years in prison by the time you get out your numbers won't seem as egregious because <laughs> he'll be 68 and then it'll be 45 and 60 never mind um yeah so a uh, nigga in Detroit I can start it like that because this made me really mad. A nigga in Detroit was caught on video uh, spitting on a pizza uh, intended for customers. Uh, Officials said the employee is in police custody and can face charges. Uh, the video was posted to Instagram on Saturday and shows an employee spitting on the pizza and then rubbing sauce over it. The incident happened on Friday, according to Park representatives. Quote, as soon as we became aware through social media of potential food tampering on Friday night, we immediately closed that food stand and disposed of all the product. Food safety is our top priority and we'll take any appropriate action necessary to protect our guests. Detroit Sports Service said. Quinnell May, the person that posted the video, uh, said the worker was, quote, mad and having a bad day. And also claimed to have done it before in the past. May said that after he recorded the video, he went to the bathroom looking around to tell people about the video, but couldn't find anyone. He said his managers got mad at him and shut him down when he tried to tell them about the video. Quote, every time I tried to talk, they told me to shut up, May said. He said he was told to leave. He was fired and threatened with, po- with prosecution if he didn't take the post down because after they wouldn't listen to him, he posted it on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they fired him and threatened to sue him. The news has reached out to a spokesperson regarding May's termination has not yet received a response. Two things. One, that's fucking gross. Second thing is that company is a bunch of fucking assholes. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's I think it speaks to the possibility that even though old boy, you know, shouldn't be sp- spitting on pizzas, it's obvious that's a fucked up environment mm-hmm. for him to yeah. feel like he can or should. This is, you know, his he's going to retaliate. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're do- if they're doing some a whistleblower wrong, then they probably were doing this kid, this other person wrong, too. Mm-hmm. And probably doing everybody wrong. And whoever's well, working there. This ain't the first time at the rodeo. Mm hmm. That also goes speaks to something about the idea that snitching is worse than the crimes committed. Like mm-hmm. I'm from Long Beach. I'm from the border of Compton. Like I got mixed feelings about snitches get stitches. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there are ways in which, 
you know, diamond on someone does suck and things like that. But this is a case in which I'm going to applaud the person who attempted to speak up on this, got shut down and was like, hey, everybody, I tried to speak up about this disgusting thing that could actually harm people. And I was told to shut up. That's the whistleblower in that case. I'm not. I don't think of him as worse somehow because he was he should have been praised for coming forward. I think because that shit is nasty, and you know, I mean, ugh, it makes me not want to eat outside. Actually, mm-hmm. everybody yeah. who ever went to that place is like, wait, did it before? When? Right. Oh, now y'all ain't talking about it, huh? Okay, mm-hmm. uh, I'm gonna sue y'all. I'm gonna sue y'all because I I feel like I might have eaten that and I could be sick. Right. People, I mean, we don't give enough support, respect, appreciation for food service workers as it is. Uh, You treat them like shit more often than not. You feel like you deserve all of their time. Even if you're not going to tip them because this is their job. They are below you. They are beneath you. Um... You talk to them crazy, you yell and scream at them because you know they can't do nothing back, and then their managers don't support them when they break down. I'm not surprised. I'm just fucking sickened out by it, like, honestly. Like, I'm grossed out. But Mm -hmm. you see people doing this everywhere. Like, let's not just act like this happened in Detroit. Everybody has laughed at the thought of, Oh, yeah, they got revenge on that person. Or don't talk to the waiter like that. They'll spit in your food. Or they're going to drop your food on the floor and pick it back up. Oh, look, there goes a hair in it. Like, people make jokes about that. Like, Eminem had um, a video where he he had a song where he was talking about you might catch me in the back spitting in your onion rings. Also in Detroit. I just want to point that out. (laughs) So, there's people who are probably just growing up in this retaliation sort of thing and 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 just be nice to your waiters be nice to your servers seriously because look you fuck with them and then you leave and then my shit's getting spit on because they can't get to you in time so they start spitting in everybody's shit i don't want spitting in my milkshake I don't, ew. Ugh. Stop yeah. being mean to people. And stop being assholes about them wanting uh, a, a decent wage, a living wage. Because mm-hmm. that's another thing, too. Right. Where it's just like, how, you know, how serious are you going to be about a job that might not even be helping you sustain your life? Mm-hmm. You know, right. and so it's just like, well, I don't give a fuck. So I might pick, I might drop the food on the floor and pick it back up. I might spit in somebody's food because I'm salty because I know that this job is some bullshit, but I got to have it, but it's barely keeping me afloat. You know, like, stop being assholes. Stop being assholes to people in the service industry. And that's across all types of different things that isn't just uh, fast food. You know, there's lots of occupations that are part of the service industry uh-huh. that deserve <laughs> That oh, deserve a living wage. Then poor, so, poor housekeepers in hotels. I have seen some shit. Oh my god. 
Oh, I saw. So there was this family who had a kid who was a baby who had the runs. And so they decided <laughs> that it was in their best interest to change this shitty ass baby on the bed and the baby shit on the bed. <laughs> they balled up the sheet. Placed it outside the door. Called and asked for another sheet. Didn't say why they were calling and asked for another sheet. So this person came and gave them another sheet and towels and all that kind of stuff. And then went to pick up the sheet. And were touching soiled biohazard Mm -hmm. sheets. What the fuck is wrong with you? Like... Like, where's the humanity at all anymore? Everything is about you first, not not anybody else. I can get rid of this problem. It becomes someone else's problem. You don't have to think about it anymore. Like, we just don't seem to give a shit about anybody else anymore. And somehow it's unpopular if you do fight for somebody's rights or if you care to help somebody out or whatever. Like, what is, what's, what's up with our humanity right now? It can't just be that we have asterisk 45 in the office and he's allowing us to do this shit like this stuff has been a long time coming what is happening Mm -hmm. with this humanity problem that we have right now i'm supposed to find a funny story now because we've been talking like shanta our last couple episodes been kind of serious except for the one where um we talked about the babysitter's club (laughs) that was still serious yeah, it was right. We're- that was still that the babysitters club, like the babysitters club, segued I think into something. It kind of got funny, but that whole thing about you leaving your books behind for a person who likes books, it was still sad. Nigga, why you got to bring up old stuff? Now I I have pushed that part back down into the recesses of my mind. Damn. Hey man, you, I mean you brought up the babysitters club. I know. <laughs> I have to get books. I don't even know if they make those books anymore. Like, seriously, books go out of print, and they get really hard to find after that. Like, you can't even find them online. There used to be this place, there is this place called Powell Books, uh, where you can find old, out-of-print books, but they sell them at, like, a premium. So, Um, good news. Oregon became the first state in U.S. history on Thursday to offer more than two gender options on identity documents including driver's licenses, making it the first to legally recognize non-binary, intersex, and agender people on ID cards. When the history-making rule, which the State Department or with the State Transportation Commission passed late Thursday afternoon, goes into effect on July 3rd, Oregon residents will have the option to choose amongst three gender categories when applying for driver's licenses or state ID cards. Male, female, or X for non-binary or unspecified. Quote, we must proactively break down the barriers of institutional bias, said Governor Kate Brown, who called the vote an important step towards creating a a society that upholds the rights, liberty, and dignity of each of its people. That's what's up. Like, that's... That's... Yeah. That's great. Because... Well, because what I think of is the possibility that someone doesn't have to be misgendered mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know because a lot of times people go by what's on somebody's id 
you know, or what's whatever's official. Yeah. You know, so somebody being able to say how they feel about themselves, who they are right there in an official kind of way, that's dope. And not having to have that fear of, of, you know, their assigned name versus their chosen name, you know, that kind of stuff can be eliminated a lot easier. Uh, Oregon, I guess, is like the state to be right now. They they have the most protection for transgender people. They have the the fastest healthcare support for them. Like that's they're doing big things up there for for people, um, trans people, and I guess now intersex and and stuff like that too. That's amazing. And it's it's, awesome. it's weird because I want to hate them so bad because they're fucking Oregon. But I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fuck, it's just like the divide between Washington and California. Like, seriously, fuck Oregon, but at the same time, fucking Oregon. They are, I'm proud of them. Like, California is usually the ones who lead the way out here on the West Coast, but I hope we follow suit real soon. I do, because, like, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, now that somebody said it, can we all do it? Like, now that that tap is open, can we all drink from this same water? But, you know, you can't. They're trying to split California into three parts now because racists are like, hey, that southern part where all of those fucking hippies live and, and immigrants are fucking up our thoughts up north. We want Trump, but we didn't get to vote for him because the, the central and the south, they like black people. <laughs> That's not even a joke. Like, up no, north is just so fucking racist. You know, uh, have you ever heard of this? Sacramento. Literally, Citrus Heights. Huh. Um, hey, Becky. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Have you heard about that district in uh, Northern California? It's like south of Eureka, but north of Sacramento that they're called like Jeffersonians or something where they want to secede from. They want just this little patch of land that they're on to secede from the United States and be considered a sovereign nation that follows anything that Jefferson ever wrote. Oh my god! Oh my god! I mean, I mean, I liked, I liked uh, George Jefferson just as much as the next person, but I think. That <laughs> <was my> <laughs> no, no, because all I see is somebody. You know, is it like a whole like little district of people? You know, swaying Biden. with their hand behind them. You know, <laughs> when they walk. <laughs> oh man. Oh, man. Shout out to Sherman Helmsley. (laughs) And he was so good at it that I literally thought that he was George Jefferson in A-Man, too. (laughs) Like, he played the same character in every play. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Patrolling police officers in Shippensburg came across a woman complaining about being stopped from driving to her home with children. Later, they charged her with driving under the influence. Melissa Azell flagged down Shippenberg police on August 5th, police said, because she was upset. Someone was trying to stop her from driving home with children while she was intoxicated, she said. Police confirmed that she was intoxicated and learned that she had just driven to a convenience store. She was returning home with her children and another child, police said. Police gave her a preliminary breath test at the scene, which showed she was over the legal limit. She was arrested for, she was charged with driving under the influence, driving under the influence while under the influence of a controlled substance, and endangering the welfare of children, police said. So to recap, TLDR. Woman calls the police. 
tells the police that somebody's trying to stop her from driving drunk with kids in the car. <laughs> police come out because she called 911 to report this. She's still there because she wants to talk to the police some more. Police give her a breathalyzer, which she fails. And then they say, you know what? You are too drunk. Let us take you somewhere instead. I mean, the only thing I can say about that is she's got to be white. Right? Oh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. And it speaks to, it, it speaks to the lack of fear. Right. That white people have with the police because you would think, okay, even like it kind of makes sense uh, if you were sober or something. Right. Because you think, okay, the police will obviously see that I am sober and we can get this all worked out. But this woman is drunk and is still in that mind state that I'm not doing anything wrong, that the police are not going to arrest me for any reason. They'll Let's see my side. You know, yeah, you know, let me, you know, I was told by AppleCare that I could drive, you know, <laughs> these kids back to my home kind of thing. But it's just, it's just wild, you know, and yet it makes sense because there's really nothing, you know, there's really nothing to indicate that the police aren't on white people's side in a lot of situations. So why wouldn't they think that no matter the situation, the police is going to, are going to be on my side? Right. Ridiculous. We're not gonna take it. <laughs> it just oh, I saw a officer today at my son's school when I was picking him up. And she kept staring at me. I haven't been that shaken up in a long time. White woman in uniform, walking out of a school, staring at me as I walk into the school to pick up my son. And I'm like, please don't let this woman think that I'm anything more than a father picking up his son from school. And at first it amused me, but then it didn't amuse me because I thought about the fact that somebody just died because Mm -hmm. a white woman thought that he was in her house or whatever. Like, I don't like, I don't want to go back into that. I don't like, I hope she, uh, I hope that they just put her in jail and put her under the jail, but it's not going to happen because white women are fragile. Anyhow, she stared at me as I walked past her. She stared at me as I walked up to the door. And then as I was walking into the door, she walked to her vehicle into her police car. But when I came out from getting my son, who's on crutches, so it took him a while to get from the from his class to the attendance office area and we walk back out to the car, she's still sitting out in her car staring at my car. Mm-hmm. This is unsettling. Yeah. And white people don't know that. They don't know how that feels. And if you try and say that you know how that feels, oh, yeah, because I grew up in the hood, so I got hemmed up. When, I don't got no respect for cops either. I'm, I, I grew up in the hood. And so, well, whenever you got hemmed up, what happened? Did you die though? Did did you get more than uh, talking to? Did you even get a ticket? Yeah. Well, there was one time we got pulled out the car and I got slammed on the hood because I'm Mexican, dude. You look white. Keep talking. Well, it was me and my friends in East Sac. Oh, so it wasn't just you. 
Okay. Mm. What what I need, look, white people. Is it okay if I call y'all white people? I know, I know, I know. Canadian and French and Russian and, <laughs> and Estonian and, and fucking Irish and all that kind of <laughs> Can I just Caucasians? Can I just call you white people? Uh, I'm just gonna call you white people. Can I call you dick? I'm gonna call you I'm gonna call you white people because if I called you all dicks, you get offended white dicks. Um white people. We aren't interested in your struggle. Saying that your struggle is like ours is completely tone deaf and is missing the whole point. Stop trying to insert yourself into our struggle by saying that you went through the same things we went through. Because Mm -hmm. the difference is you always come home. And sometimes you get driven to Burger King first. Right. You always make it out alive. You get the benefit of the doubt. We don't get that. And so when I saw this woman, I was I was I was I was shook. I ain't even gonna front. Like I started thinking about it. Like, have I done anything? Did I litter? Mm-hmm. Are my tags paid? Like, why is she looking at me? Is something hang? Am I? Are my pants too low? Like, I started thinking respectability politics. Mm. Real talk. This all started going through my head in the span of five minutes. Like, what did I do? What am I doing wrong? Was my music too loud? Was I doing any of this? And I am ashamed, but not ashamed to say it out loud to y'all that I literally started thinking about everything that I did as a black person that could have gotten me shot. Right. That's the reality right now. I mean, it used to be that we can make jokes about stuff like this, but that time has passed. Earlier today on Facebook, someone I'm connected to posted a screenshot of an exchange between her and her her son. And it said, like, the mom said, like, did you have fun? And the son said, who's probably about 13 or 14 year old boy, um, said, "Uh, yeah, it was awesome. I didn't get and I didn't get shot either really fun night and then the mom like happy face emojis or whatever and and she posted it like you know my little boy's a fool or something and a bunch of people were laughing at it but the like it hit my stomach right away like i mean i have a dark sense of humor and i definitely will be guilty of gallows humor or whatever and stuff like that in in inappropriate times but right now to know that this 13 year old black boy was at an event had fun and part of his telling that it was fun also included that he didn't get shot. Mm-hmm. Like my stomach just nodded right up because I see the humor in the moment, but at the same time, I also see that that is real life for us right now. A 14 year old boy just recently shot. Uh, you know, you, you can't even remember all of the locations that these kids are dying because mm-hmm. it's happening so frequently. You, and you're like you thinking in that moment of everything you did, knowing that there probably really wasn't anything but just being black, that the first thing that's popping into your head nowadays is, am I going to be the next hashtag? And that like, that's just the reality right now. Like, we should figure this out. Like, we definitely need to clean this up and figure this out. But like, real fear None of us should be making fun of any uh, any of us that have that real fear because it is more real now than it has been probably in 30, 40 years 
since the civil rights era. I just want to say again that nine times out of 10, I, I, I feel like I am a pretty sound mind where I'm not thinking about harming myself. I'm not thinking about self harm or anything of that nature. I'm not, I do like to cause pain to myself. Um, but that's like literally like scratching at something I know doesn't need to be scratched out or popping something that doesn't need to be popped or squeezing something that's not ready to be squeezed just so I can feel pain. It's not like I'm a cutter. Not yet, at least. I'm saying all of that to say this. If the police kill me, they're immediately going to try and make a narrative that made it seem like either I did it to myself that I mm-hmm. tried to commit suicide by cop or that I wasn't in my right mind or that I was hostile or that I was anything. And there's people who will believe that the problem is a lot of the people that believe that also know me personally. So if they say that I was that type of person, please know that I'm not. Please. That's all mm-hmm. that I ask. Like, and, and it's not, it's not a selfish thing. It's, it's, it's not, I'm going to be dead. It doesn't really matter what happens i'm gone but my kids will live on and the last thing i want them to think is what you think because somebody else told you what to think Mm -hmm. so it is imperative to me that y'all know the truth if something happens which it sounds crazy it sounds it sounds weird for somebody to be saying that but god damn it where i live at black folks are getting killed by the police damn near every three months and nobody's talking about it but one woman that I know of here in Sacramento and Black Lives Matter Sacramento. So please, if at the in the event of my demise, first of all, Shantae, if I die, I need you to hit up Nisha so then you can continue on with the show. Yes, I'm doing a last will and a testimony on the fucking show. <laughs> I need you and Nisha to link up somehow, Facebook message or whatever, give her a call. She'll have my phone with her and you get all the information for the show so you can keep that pushing. Um, Second thing is protect my memory. Because there's going to be a lot of digging to find out how I was a bad man when I was 45, 46 don't let them do it. I wouldn't let them do it to you. Um, Kavanaugh cried on the stand. They're still going to vote him in. Mm-hmm. George Bush, who we thought, folks thought, oh, he's giving candy to uh, Michelle Obama, is behind the scenes trying to drum up votes for him. Yeah, why do people forget he was trash just because he's got a crush on Michelle? Because they childish. Because they childish. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, I really think that you know they. It's just like you want. I think it's a. People want to. I think 
there is a, I think there's a part of people that want to see some little sliver of good in somebody. They don't know how to stand in their contempt for, you know, in like a justified contempt for people because it makes them feel bad about themselves instead of just acknowledging that this dude is shit. This dude was shitty, probably still is shitty. It doesn't matter that if in his retirement from politics and stuff that he's had, you know, that he's gritted at Michelle Obama or making uh you know, doing portraits or whatever the fuck he's doing with this art and everything, you know, or that he seemed harmless, you know, or whatever, you know, as far as like his demeanor and everything that he wasn't necessarily sneering at people when he was, you know, president and everything. But it's just he still he deserves contempt. But people don't know how to put that forth. Like they can be oh, like they it's easy for them to be mad at Donald Trump because he's, you know, He's sneering at everybody and he's being outwardly racist and, and all this different kind of stuff. But they don't know how to sneer at people who, I guess, are doing it with a velvet glove, you know, with a light touch. Let's not forget, someone chucked a shoe at him. <laughs> That's how much. <laughs> that, was like, that was like an Iraqi person. You know, I think that was in Iraq. Yeah. That he got a shoe. He got a So I'm. I, speaking more for like American people yeah. who you know want to you know grin at somebody because they see a video on social media and be happy about some shit it's like nah he's doing exactly what I would expect him to do exactly you know? yeah don't don't sleep on, on Bush any of the Bush they're, they're a dynasty that's that they're the reason why Saddam Hussein was empowered. They they're part of the the um, arms deal that happened with Iran way back. Like these are some these are some hardcore people. We can't sleep on them just because he's got a crush on Michelle. How could you not have a crush on Michelle? Yeah, she's fucking awesome. <laughs> like, and it's wild. It's wild too because I think the same. I feel like the same people who might have been grinning at the fact that he was like, you know, sharing candy with Michelle and everything would be the same people who would be like, oh, well, just because somebody is white, you know, kind of hangs out with black people, that doesn't mean they're not racist or, you know, or whatever. But it was just like that got completely thrown out the window because he was sharing some candy. Mm hmm. Yeah, it is ridiculous. Uh, what else? There was something else I wanted to say. Oh, yeah. So, uh, niggas, I know, I know. I'm looping y'all into a hole because, you know, there's um, there's a lot of y'all, like, from all over the place. Like, I understand. I, I feel you. I, I, niggas. Um, niggas! What up, Jeremy? Um, it's not just black folks. Though. Let me rephrase that. Look, y'all need to do yourself a favor and watch uh, Craig of the Creek on Cartoon Network. That's my show. Craig of the Creek is fucking incredible. And it is it is awe-inspiring uh, on so many different levels. I, I Gogo told me about it this morning uh, while we were at my job waiting for her uh, to need a ride to school. Um she was telling me, have I seen it? And I was like, no, I haven't. And she was like, well, yeah, you need to check this out because it's incredible. And she was talking about uh, another character in the in the show who is Craig's best friend, uh, who is a warrior and speaks in the third person. Um, Kelsey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she was like, yeah, she's my favorite. And I was like, okay, cool, Craig. That sounds, and she was like, yeah, he's black. 
Lead character's black. Family's black, of course. They go out and hang out with his grandparents, who are black. Everybody in his family, everybody is black. And then his friends out in the world are just like kids. Mm -hmm. Like, it is literally what my childhood was. This show is my childhood. When you step outside that door of your house, you were in a whole new world, whether it's a fantasy world or it's just a place inhabited with kid logic and kid ways. It's there. And this show just encapsulates it. Um, There was an episode where they were uh, in the creek, the area that they hang out in the woods or whatever it may be. Um, and somebody runs up to another kid and tags him. And they treated it like that nigga was a zombie. (laughs) Like, we don't know how tag got started. We don't know who the first person was who got infected by tag, but tag has been going on forever and it's just the way it is. So when Kelsey got tagged, they were like, she was like, just leave me here to die. <laughs> I'm just going to be outcast the rest of my days. Nobody's going to be around me. I'm always alone anyway. And Craig was like, nah, chill. I'll fix this, yo. And he did. There was another episode, and I'm not trying to spoil shit. I swear to God, but there was another episode, yo, where um, Craig and his friends have this secret lair, like this, this wooden, this this tree stump that's hollowed out and they have otter stuff in it. And, um, they leave their lair to go home. Cause streetlights essentially came on. They play a tuba to let you know when it's dinner time. Somebody plays a tuba. The kid JP knows it's time to go home for dinner. Everybody else follows suit. But, um, while they were gone, they come back the next day and somebody's vandalized all their shit. And so they do a stakeout to find out what's going on. And it turns out it's these two young ladies. And the two young ladies are just hanging out, you know, being teenagers because they're they're one of them's about to leave for college. They're seniors in high school. And at first you're sitting there thinking, okay, they're just, you know, talking about I don't want to leave my friends because that's how I was when it was time for me to move to D.C. from from uh, Sacramento. I was like, I don't want to leave my friends behind or anything like that. And one of the friends was like, I'm going to miss you so much. And uh, the friend was like, yeah, me too. Nope. It is ambiguous, but I am pretty certain that in this cartoon, without making any any big deal about it, these two young ladies are in a lesbian relationship, which is incredibly done. Yep. It is so well done. Craig's brother, who's uh, studying hard, like he was like, I'm studying for tests that I don't have to take for like two years black kid dating a white girl nobody makes an issue about it his mom and dad laugh and dance and sing and make up music and all that kind of stuff together his grandma and grandpa still flirt with one another this show is incredible people and you have to see it it's on cartoon network and it is literally i left feeling the same way i felt watching steven universe watching this show Shantae, you were saying it was dope. I, I, oh, yeah. This is like the, the episode that you were talking about with the two girls. That's called The Curse. And that's one of my favorite episodes. Because when I first watched it, I didn't catch it. But uh, 
in the in the curse the girls are the kids think they're witches because uh, that's how you know that's what happened with their their whole lair and everything and the girls are uh one of the girls is leaving is has tarot cards out and when i looked at the tarot cards it was just like oh this is about a relationship like i didn't catch it because I, I thought like you thought at least in the initially that it was like okay these are just friends and whatever and then i watched it again and really looked and it was just like oh oh this is you know this isn't about i'm leaving my friend this is about i'm leaving my partner i'm leaving my girlfriend behind you know that kind of thing so yeah it's 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 an awesome 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 show and i think i think the people who do craig of the creek might have come from the same like might have come from steven universe as well because it does seem like it has that same vibe i guess like obviously not literal in the sense of like well steven universe is like super duper fantasy and everything compared to craig of the creek but just that trying to portray real kids having real feelings you know and not talking down to them and just acknowledging who they are you know because that's the whole thing that's what's dope about craig of the creek because obviously there's craig and there's kelsey and there's jp but there's all these different groups of kids you know there's the the horse the horse girls and the 10 speeds (laughs) there's there's the The little girl yeah there's the girl who uh the black girl who runs the the snack stand mm-hmm. and just there's you know there's the boy scout kids who and it's just like cop, the, they act like cops yo <laughs> they like, really do free because well, they are <laughs> you know it's just it's a it's a wonderful show it's so well done there's been plenty of times where like after the kids after i take my kids to school you know, I've been I've been home sitting watching Craig of the Creek on demand because it's just like, well, I don't want to watch the fucking news, mm-hmm. you know, or I, but you know, and I don't want to fuck with Netflix, but I can watch Craig of the Creek and I know that I'm gonna enjoy it. One of the things that struck me about the show, and and it's it's like you said, it's the small things that like if you go back and look at it again, you're like, huh, the horse girls, yeah. The horse girls, as they're uh, dealing with Craig and his friends, because they're trying to figure, Craig and his friends are, are on a case trying to figure out where a book went to. Um, mm-hmm. They talk to the horse girls, and the horse girls pretty much rebuff them. Uh, but as the horse girls literally gallop away, because they're not, they're not girls who like riding horses. They're girls who want to be horses. Yeah, they are horse girls. They are like... horse girls. Like, yeah. <laughs> And they're galloping away, like the whole nine yards, the the hands up in the air like you used to do when you used to act like you're a horse or whatever. When I was a kid, I used to act like I was a Thundercat. I used to act like I was a Transformer. We would transform. We would make the sounds. (laughs) 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 Horses. And they run around, and they're they're galloping off, holding their hands up like their hooves and all that kind of stuff. Except for one girl who's a part of the group who's like, hey, y'all, can we play basketball? (laughs) Right. Can we? Can, that's a game too. Can we play basketball? And it's just like that. It's so dope. There's one part where they're um, the ten speeds, which is a group of kids who obviously ride bikes. They're like BMXers or whatever. They're rooting on a kid who's about to do a jump. You're thinking, oh, this is gonna be an ill ramp. They're like, go, 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 go. And this kid rides over a lump that's like the size of going up a slope on a curve. 
<laughs> bike he has on training wheels on his bike and his bike barely moves as it goes over the speed bump and they're like that was sick that was sick this show is incredible it is so pure it is i, I can't say much more than i'm in love and yeah. i'm hoping that it stays around forever <laughs> and the family the family is great like we already talked about like craig and like his the grandmother and the grandfather like i saw an episode with the grandmother and the girl well, they went to go to the, the grandparents house to hang out and the grandmother had on a sweatshirt that said fight me on it so <laughs> it's so dope and then the little sister jessica jessica gets her own uh episode called jessica i think it's jessica of the creek mm-hmm. and everything and it's so you know, it's that that dynamic between older brothers and little sisters and, you know, trying to how older brothers or older siblings can. I don't know, you know, be mean to the little to the to the younger ones and the younger ones are trying to live up to what the older one wants and everything and how they're missing how much they're trying to be whatever they think the older one wants them to be you know, kind of thing. So it's just, it's, that's, that's another one of my, my favorite episodes. Cause he, Where? she keeps, she mispronounces things. Yes. And so he calls her a stickler and she's like, I'm not a sticker. You're a sticker, Craig. You're a sticker. You know, kind <laughs> of thing. So I love Jessica. And I just she says it like, it sounds like Jessica is literally being voiced by like a, a six year old. So yeah. it sounds so pure. Like she's like, you're a sticker. I'm not a sticker. You're a sticker. And you know what she's trying to say. And it's like, as a younger sibling, I got flashbacks because you're sitting there. This rock hurts my butt. Well, just sit there while we do (laughs) stuff. Okay? Just sit there. Charmaine, it's on Cartoon Mm -hmm. Network. <laughs> well, I I watch I watch the Wee Bear Bears, but I haven't oh, yeah, I haven't too. seen the the Craig of the Creek yet. I'm gonna check it out. Wee Bear Bears is also amazing. I love Wee Bear Bears. I, I mean, love Cartoon Network. Yeah. In terms of the diversity, or at least like like when they played basketball with the black kids, they sounded like they were black voices, and you know, like they they seem to clearly have like a a multiracial cast. Mm-hmm. And probably writers because they seem sensitive to a lot of stuff. So I think you know maybe Cartoon Network is where we're going to get our representation until <laughs> until we can start doing it in other places. Yep, that sounds fun. That sounds cute. I'll check it out. I feel good now. I'm about to watch it after after the show's over. Which reminds me, uh, Charmaine, go ahead and uh, give your shout outs and and plug your show again. The floor is yours. All right, thanks. Um, well, I, I have my little podcast network, which is a podcast network main hustle media for POC created content. So the content doesn't necessarily have to be about race, but it needs to be a POC creator. And um, I have my two shows, Militantly Mixed, which airs on Thursdays or whatever we call it when it's podcast airs. Um, and uh, Militantly Mixed, the Black AF edition is on Tuesdays. And then I'm I produce a show called Black Radical Queer through my podcast network with uh, Javi and Nicole. And I mean, it's self-explanatory. It's about Black Radical Queer. (laughs) Um, And pretty much just the message across all of our shows so far is is that, um, you know, we're telling our own stories on our own terms, which is what uh, Javia says on on Black Radical Queer. It's everything is from our own perspective, under our own steam. We create it, we're sharing it, and we want people like us to feel like they have a safe space to listen to 
to something that is, you know, reflect, reflective of them. Um, so yeah, militantly mixed and black radical queer are big things. Now we got a few more shows coming down the pipe um, in the next couple of months, but you can follow uh, uh, militantly mix on all social media Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mix, and then um, Main Hustle Media, same thing, uh, Main Hustle Media. And uh, the only one that is a little bit off is Militantly Mix, the Black AF edition. On Twitter, I had to go with MM Black AF, and then everywhere else is Militantly Mix Black AF. So you can check us out. Shante? I just want to thank. Charmaine for being on the show tonight. It was really, really dope to have you on. Thanks and, and yeah, just shout out to everybody who continues to, you know, rock with us and share the show and uh, tell people about the show and download the show and, you know, fuck with us on Facebook and across Twitter and everywhere else on social media. Thank you. When we started with uh, Lips and about a year ago, we the first show. I, I initially said we got zero downloads. I went back and looked. We got three. In this past month, we have garnered uh, four thousand downloads. Yeah, congratulations! I am not close to that yet. <laughs> you know what? It wasn't even. I, I try really hard to be more arrogant about the work that goes into these shows and the work that I put in and everything, but that has everything to do with our listeners, our, our fans, our, our friends, our family, uh, people who are sharing the show, people who are supporting the show. It, it, it it's just a beautiful thing. Um, and so I want to take time out to thank them. I want to take time out to thank, uh, Miss Angie, uh, who is our 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 newest Patreon, our patron member of our Patreon, um, and and I want to take time out to urge each and every one of y'all to uh, monitor your kids uh, because uh, Angie's son uh, Dre uh, had a stroke. Uh, he's a teenager. And he, through, thank God, he's he's recovering. He's doing very well. Uh, but still, like you need to know that your kids are susceptible to to strokes and 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 stroke symptoms. Uh, so be aware of them. Um, listen to your kids. Listen to their fears. Um, don't just strike them off as oh kids will be kids or or you're just being overly dramatic don't tell don't tell your kids they're being dramatic they don't know what that is they know but they don't know that that's what you think of them until you tell them that that's what they think that's what you think of them and then they second guess everything that they say because they wonder if you're going to think they're being dramatic again you need to keep that relationship and that that communication open um We work hard for this. Shante is up right now. It is fucking 11 p.m. It's 9 o'clock where I'm at. It's 9 o'clock where Charmaine is because she's here in the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, but we appreciate y'all listening, but I appreciate Shante more 
for doing this like every time like without fail uh you don't have to do this like there's no benefit to you doing this other than getting a chance to talk to a a literal bag of music and wind and yet you take time out to do it. so i am just constantly grateful and I don't think I ever conveyed correctly or, or fully how grateful I am. But like I, like I say, without you, there's no show. There's no nothing. Um, and one day, everything the sun touches will be your <laughs> kingdom. Except for that. I, you know what? If I knew the words, I'd sing it. But the only thing that's going through my mind is in the jungle. So, um, <laughs> you just make up ly- lyrics. Pink oh, pajamas, penguins on the bottom. Pink pajamas, <laughs> penguins on the bottom. That's dope. Because <laughs> I, I got nothing. Now I, now I can almost hear the song. Um, the circle of life. Oh, my God. That helped. <laughs> oh wow that worked um but we thank y'all uh i i do want to urge each and every one of y'all to take time out to just do a self-check self-health check uh not just physical but also mental um and check on your friends uh check on the strong ones winter is here like like i know that it's october but trust me things are getting hard and it's coming sooner than you think. Check on your friends and don't just check on them like I'm checking on you. So then uh, you can ask me how I'm doing. Like I'm just checking on you so I can get back to being my town. Check on your friends. They need you. Um, and be open and honest with your friends about what's going on with you. Because we don't always know and we don't always want to tell because both of them are scary. Yeah. This is Single Simulcast, episode 319. Spider-Man is still dope. Um, uh, yeah. And Craig of the Creek, y'all. Seriously, check it out. Let us know what you think. Um, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a real sticker for making sure that y'all uh, check out that show. I'm going to push on that one. But uh, yeah, this is Single Simulcast, episode 319. Uh, y'all be good. We're out. Peace. Peace. Single simulcast. Don't know by now that you slipped.